Dr Philip Stiles, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. We're looking at public sector cutbacks and the private sector. Redundancies seem to abound around us. Uh, We've had Liverpool City Council, Manchester City Council. How do you go about showing a workforce that when you make those tough decisions to lay people off, your decisions are fair and impartial? I think what employees want to know is whether management have really exhausted all opportunities and avenues for cutbacks before redundancies are actually on the table. I think what we've seen recently are a number of um, knee-jerk reactions to to the cuts where a number of organisations have made redundancies without really examining whether other possibilities are, are open to them. And I think employees are hugely frustrated about that. And, and how does that frustration come out. You've heard of people, you know, going uh, into a corner and crying because their colleagues are being made redundant, they're opening the letters, they're wondering if they're next. It affects the morale of the whole workforce, not just those being made redundant. I think certainly if we divide employees into two groups, one, the group which are most affected, the ones who have to leave the organisation, certainly they... um, the method by which they find out about their their future is often delivered in, in a very harsh way, and I think that impacts on the people. The second group, who those who stay, they see that actually sometimes that management is is overly un, overly brusque and overly um, tough on the people who are who are leaving, and that affects morale right through the group. I think often management style is very important here, um, particularly in terms of whether management gives employees voice and whether they give them a a real say in what's happening to their future, and also whether they give them some kind of counselling and possibility of future work in other organisations. Well, let's start with those old chestnuts. Is it right that you should lay off people on a Friday to give them the weekend to to sort of go back to their families? Is it right to try voluntary redundancies, as some are doing, before you make compulsory redundancies? Is the process and procedure important? I think in, in, in these situations, the process is everything. I think many employees understand that their organizations need to make cuts, and those cuts may involve redundancy. I think what really matters here is, is often not that the bad news involves redundancy, but how the bad news is broken and how people are given um, the news in terms of the process. What employees really want to know or want to, to experience is that they've had a say in this, that the explanation is clear and fair, and also that they are treated with some dignity. I think giving employees some kind of soft landing where they can make arrangements for their future is, is a very fair thing to do. And I think where, the, where you see the absence of that, um, you see huge um, disgruntlement, uh, not just with those individuals, but with individuals who actually are staying. So at the boardroom level, can the CEO set the tone? Can they, for instance, say, well, we're going to keep in touch with those employees who've been loyal to us, who've been made redundant. We'll let you know how they get on. We'll provide advice, mentoring, support, not just redundancy money. Yes, I think, I think that the tone which is set from the, from the executives and from the chief executive is, is hugely important. I think being in touch with with people who leave and also maybe when when better times um, come around um, maybe offering um, future employment to these individuals is 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 important and a good signal I think often chief executives and other executives are are painted into a corner and they feel that the only way out is to make cuts and, and certainly to make redundancies I think often a cause of 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 disenchantment with employees is 
they feel that executives don't do enough to make efficiency savings elsewhere. And, and have you got an awful story, a bad story that you've heard, as opposed to contrasting it with a good story, the right way to do things? I mean, sometimes you know people are just told to clear their desks and, and don't even have time to say goodbye to their colleagues. Well, I mean, the, the number of really poor stories are, are legion, uh, from people being made redundant by text message on Christmas Eve through to people being selected at random in the workforce and being asked to clear their desk and leave the building in 30 minutes, escorted by security guards. There are so many, and one would, one would feel that actually one would hope that these things are uncommon, but actually the, the stories are so, so many that one has to assume that there are managers out there who have no feeling or no understanding of how this process should really work. Um, contrasted with that, we see other organizations which do do a good job in this and where they give employees maybe three months or six months um, to prepare themselves to find other work. They give them career advice. They give them nice, generous packages. Um, they offer counseling. They offer coaching. And uh, obviously these companies have lots of resources. But in effect, their reputation remains good and and employees, even though they are traumatised in many respects by leaving, they do not feel the company has been unfair to them. And, and that must affect the morale of those who stay, because it's really important, you know, whether you're in the public sector or the private, the, the, the FIFA redundancies, you know, 2,400 people, that's the, the private sector, it's squeezed too. But, but actually, you've got to keep the morale up of those who stay, who are reshaping the company. And I, I think that's what's really difficult at the moment, in that, Cuts seem to be very high on the agenda, but there seems to be very little talk of anything about growth, about how organizations may grow the business. A lot of talk is now about survival, um, which gives no one any real cause for um, excitement or engagement. And I think what we see is a lot of organizations and employees just treading water and hoping that their jobs are safe. And, of course, this impacts hugely on the economy, too. If we're looking at the employee, whether you're in the private or public sector, who's been made redundant, you probably haven't got a culture of, of being self-employed because by your very nature you're in an organisation. Councils are big, particularly county councils, um, as are organisations, private sector ones. So how do you go about making that intellectual and emotional adjustment to being self-employed? You probably haven't got a, a secretary anymore. Again, this, this transition is very profound, I think, and um, a lot of in individuals think that they can move into, into self-employment and uh, create businesses and, and become consultants. But actually, I think a lot of people, their, their, real, their real skills and their real values lie in being, being inside an organization with well-established processes. And, and so making the transition becomes very difficult. Also, I think, you know, just on a, on a conceptual level, I think, Given, that, given the scale of redundancies which are happening uh, at the moment, um, the idea that people can become consultants and somehow win business and, and become successful in their own right seems to me kind of very, very idealistic. Um, I just think if one looks at regular consultancies, established consultancies, large ones, um, they are also struggling for work too. And, and I think this whole area of just what can people do once they are made redundant has become um, you know, a huge, a huge issue. And I think 
when one looks at what's happening with Pfizer, as you mentioned, or with the, with the councils in Manchester and Liverpool, um, one has to be fearful about the, the social consequences of this. If we now turn to your field of expertise, the HR departments, the human resource departments, are they equipped to deal with these huge shifts? Because they've been downsized and downscaled too, haven't they? Often they exist of consultancies which are, which are bought in. Have we, if you'd like, got enough knowledge base to deal with this transition, as you rightly say, which is a social transition too? I think HR, you're right, has, has suffered as well. I think a lot of HR departments have been cut in their own right. I think there's been outsourcing. There's been um, just a, a rationalization of HR. So, in effect, they have very little boundary to really or, or any bandwidth to really cope with this level of, of, of activity. I think often you can divide companies up into two with HR, a kind of soft-based HR where, they, where they're often dealing with knowledge workers and professionals and, and a more hard HR where they're dealing with more blue-collar, um, frontline staff. And you do see two different kinds of attitudes. One, in, in the sort of soft HR, you see a much more benign, a more considered, a more uh, caring approach. But often with, 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 with the hard HR, where there's a more transactional relationship in the workforce, you see much more, um, much more brutal forms of treatment with, with employees, much more harsh... Um, short notice, no, not much consideration. Um, the text message. Exactly, the text message. I think because they feel, well, actually, these employees, our relationship with them is not one of high trust, high commitment, so therefore we can be, we can be tough with them and they will understand. But actually, this, is, this seems to be particularly a case of often trading on people's fear, I think, and, and I think there's a lot of fear in the workplace at the moment, um, and unjustifiably, actually. Tips to the HR managers and tips to the employee who's got their redundancy money. So, you know, should they just sort of squirrel it away? What about going and setting up a market stall rather than a consultancy, going back to something that's quite basic? And the HR managers, you know, they've got to toughen up, perhaps. I think the, the, I think the message for HR would be that... Um, if one is going to prepare for the upturn, whenever that might be, one may have to draw on people's skills again, particularly those individuals that, that the organization has let go. So I think it pays HR to be considerate and kind. Um, these are not just fluffy words. I think, I think what matters is, is not just the people who leave, but the people who stay, and they want to see that HR is doing a fair, consistent, and above all, benign job. Because that reflects on the boardroom, the CEO, and the reputation of the company. Absolutely. And I think culture is one of the big reputational attributes of a company. And if it's seen to be too tough or overly tough or not caring of its employees in difficult times, it will suffer. I think for people who've been made redundant, I think uh, you know, one, one thought would be, of course, this is a time to rethink one's career and to rethink just, um, you know, just what, what one wants to do. Um, of course, um, one of the one of the big issues about career is is that one doesn't have one career in one's life, but one has potentially multiple careers. So a, a lot of advice, of course, is to is to is to think what is one's strengths and one's weaknesses, and and to go through that discussion. Um, but of course, the immediate the immediate issue is about how one how does one earn some 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 money, and and I think um, often one feels that you know obviously consultancy is a route, but also social enterprise is a route. I think um, often moving into the, the charitable s sector may be a, a possible route, I think. But I think 
Oh, think outside the box. You know, I was just thinking the charitable <laughs> sector's being cut yeah, too. Um, you know, the, the community volunteers. But but basically, you know, you you've got to think outside the box. Go back to basics, and your pride has to suffer. I think one's pride does suffer. I think inevitably, and I think of, obviously, it's what does one do with that with that with that sense? And you know, does does one use it to 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 take off and and to be more more um, and to strive more? Or does one does one withdraw? I think. Th- the difficulty is here that I think with 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 the, with the politics at the moment um, that there's a sense that everyone is self-sufficient and actually the people who do well, um, uh, the, you know, actually are, are, are those who use their talent most, and the people who do not do well are the people who kind of, kind of squander their talent. So, in other words, it's a very kind of individualistic sense, and I think what what that what tends to breed is that the people who do not do well are actually, it's their own fault that they don't do well. And I think actually that's a huge, huge mistake in, in political terms. And I think a lot of people are being sacrificed in this wave of cuts um, where perhaps there is no necessity for them for that to happen. And, uh, and I think this, this sense that people blame themselves or the fault is with them is one of the huge social ills of our time. Dr Philip Stiles, that is a sobering thought. Thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. Thank you very much, Bonnie.